We're going to read the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. And we're going to bow our heads and ask the Lord once again to bless our lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful for this opportunity, Lord, to gather together with your people. I trust, Father, that well, we're joyful to be here this morning, Father. And I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to gather, the freedom that we have to gather and seek your word in truth, Father. Thank you for the assurance that we have that you are in our presence this morning as we've gathered in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that we would know his presence, know the joy of this fellowship, and be fed by your word. Bless us by it, I pray, this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. We give you the glory, the thanksgiving, and we love you this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray all these things. Amen. Well, it's good to be back this morning uh, after a brief getaway last weekend. I wasn't here. Allie and I stepped out of town just briefly, uh, just to take a quick little respite. Quick little drive to, not a drive, we flew out there, but we had driven through a little town out in the central coast of California some years ago, and we always wanted to go back, so we went back there and we did a lot of nothing while we were there. Enjoyed it a great deal, because sometimes, at least at my age, you kids don't understand it, but at my age and the age of most of the people in this room, man, doing nothing is is fantastic. You know, not having responsibilities for just a brief while, again, just having a respite, just resting Going to the beach, drinking coffee, and just driving around. Yeah, we stayed busy, but it was indeed a rest for us. You understand what it is to rest, I trust. Uh, Again, you young people, younger people might not understand the value of it, the benefit and the blessing that comes from it, but you get what it means. It means to be, well, to be calm, putting aside work for a time. Uh, Yeah, it's a first world problem, I would say. Um, but it's one that I'm grateful for, that capability of rest. I have a need for rest, and, I, and I'm grateful for it when it comes. Uh, yeah, it is a first-world problem, naturally speaking, but what we all need, we understand. It's not an uncommon topic from this pulpit or any others, is that we need spiritual rest as well. We understand that there is a rest to be found specifically in the Lord Jesus and the provision that he's made for us. Uh, we understand that. We find that rest in him. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, it delineates that we have a rest, that God's people have a rest. If you want to flip over there, it tells us what we know. And if you don't know it, study it out. Understand the rest that is Jesus, that Sabbath that he is, the embodiment of that Sabbath rest. And it presents it here in Hebrews chapter 4, but it also gives us a model that perhaps many don't see, don't recognize as being an example of rest to us. It says there in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 4, there remains therefore a rest, a Sabbath rest specifically, if you look into the Greek, and it's, well, speaking here of, of the Hebrew, the Shabbat, you could say. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and that is found in the Lord Jesus again. But then it goes on to give us that model. For he who has entered his rest, that's us, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. God rested, it says here. So, well, I guess you could say 
First off, I appreciate the rest that we, well, that we can have naturally and spiritually, and I am certainly open to any rest that the Lord wants to give me. Uh, I'm receptive to that. I want to be rested in my mind. I want to be rested emotionally. I want to be rested physically, but I also want to be rested spiritually. Uh, But we're not talking about our rest this morning. We're going to talk about the example that God is in resting and demonstrating for us our need and our privilege in resting in Him because He rested. That's the, that's the rest that we're going to look at. That's the model that we're given. Uh, getting way ahead of myself, but if God said, I'm going to rest and demonstrate the need for that, even in Himself, the Almighty God, well, then I need to take note of that, and we should do that together this morning. So, as we consider God's rest, as I titled this lesson this morning, we're going to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Number one, while we recognize that He did rest, we're going to look at that seventh day rest here in just a moment, but... Does he still rest today? Is God resting at this present moment? Will he rest in days to come? And if so, when is that going to take place, that he will rest? And we'll get to all of those things, I trust, this morning. It's a good thing to study. To learn who the Lord is and what he does is a blessing to us. We learn more about him by considering his actions, his activities, the reason why he does such things. And to know the Lord is, well, an old song says, to know him is to love him. It's a secular song, but I'm going to take it and rob it for myself. To know him is to love him. So let's learn more about the Lord God this morning. First off, let's talk about this rest of his. This rest that he took on this seventh day here in Genesis chapter 2 as it's recorded here. We know that he rested, okay? It has to be understood. Uh, We know that he stopped the work. He took a respite from the work that he was doing. It says it in multiple places in Scripture, uh, our, our text being the first area there that it says that. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. Uh, from all his work which he had done. Now, this is kind of remarkable when you consider that the Lord is almighty, right? We talk about that. That's a word that we use for him oftentimes. We don't always simply call him the almighty, but it was a, a term that they called him rather frequently in the Old Testament. You might have heard El Shaddai. It's God almighty in the Hebrew Uh, He's all-powerful, all-strong, all-everything, all-knowing, all-everywhere. We understand who He is, what He's capable of, created heaven and earth, as you can read in Genesis chapter 1 and ongoing in chapter 2 and so on and so forth. Everything that He's done. Why in the world does He need to rest? (laughs) He's got power for eons. We We can't even fathom everything that He's capable of doing. He is almighty. We certainly are not. We need to rest from things. We need to cease from our own works. Naturally speaking, yes. You can't work, well, nonstop, 24-7. Your body's not going to hold up. We're also called to cease from our own efforts at doing things our own way, spiritually speaking. That's in part what he's referring to here in Hebrews chapter 4, where it says we need to cease our works as he did. But again, we're not talking just about ourselves this morning. God is almighty, doesn't have a need of taking a breather and stepping back and going, Whoo, man, I need, I need to get some AC on it. That's not, how, that's not who he is. He's, he's capable of all things. So why? Why did he rest? Well, I, I think it's remarkable to say 
that before he offered rest to Israel by going into this promised land that he had established for them, before he offered rest to, well, to God's people just in this age, in Jesus, before he even offered any of those things, when there were only two people on the earth, he rested and gave an example for how to do so. Gave an example that we were to rest. When there were just two, Adam and Eve were the only ones, just after he created people, you know, separated this, the sun or the heavens and, and the earth. He separated the earth into ocean and land. He separated that into vegetation and animals and all this. And then he created two. And then he said, stop. All is good. He saw that it was very good. And it was then that he rested when there were only two witnesses there. And he appointed significance to that day. And I don't know all of the understanding that Adam and Eve had. I don't, un, I don't know everything that they comprehended. But they were there to witness it, I believe. That God was resting. He, he established very early when there were but two people on this earth. He rested before them. And he blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. It's significant to us. I believe it should have been significant to them as well that he saw that everything was good and he stopped and he ceased. And, and I think it's the book of Exodus where it says he was refreshed in this moment. There's a measure of peace, I guess you could say. Goodness that was present. It's significant to us that the Almighty God, El Shaddai himself, rested. And it gives us no excuse to do anything but to follow suit. When God does it. When he didn't need to do it. He chose to. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Israel should... Excuse me, Israel chose not to rest fully in the Lord. Adam and Eve, in all honesty, chose not to, not to abide in that rest, didn't they? They invited, well, they invited unrest into their lives. It's an unfortunate thing, saints. It's an unfortunate thing that, well, people still don't accept the rest that he offers and gave us from the very beginning example to enter into. It is unfortunate. Uh, sometimes, well, sometimes we'll enter into the rest for a time. Sometimes we don't enter into it at all. Uh, it's, well, you've seen young people, young kids. You know, it always kind of, not shocks me, but always kind of, well, we're not supposed to covet and we're not supposed to envy, but I'll be honest with you, I envy these little kids when their parents tell them, you are going down for a nap. There's a certain measure of, you know, there's a certain measure of envy there because the kids, you know, they do this and, you know, and they're upset and they might cry and that sort of thing. And I'm like, man, wouldn't somebody just please make me make me take a nap? You know, wouldn't that just that just be a, just a joyful thing? Uh, rest while you can, kids. I'll just say it that way. You know, there comes a time where there's always something going on, right? Always something going on where Perhaps you can't afford to just take a nap right then. How long did God's rest last? Well, the easy answer in that moment is that, well, a day, right? On the seventh day, he rested from all the work that he had done. Creation was complete. He had planted, he had separated, he had created, he had, well, there are a number of other verbs that he did there in Genesis 1 and 2. But land and sea and vegetation and man, all of them created, and God saw that it was very good. And he rested. And then it stopped being very good. Right? I mean, when you just look at it for what it is, we'll look at Genesis chapter 3. 
if you want to flip over there. Probably every parent in this place has said at some point, in addition to, you're going to take a nap. They've also uh, probably said to themselves, or out loud, I can't have anything nice. <laughs> I can't, see, this is why I can't have anything nice. And as I was preparing this lesson, I went over a number of things that I destroyed in my youth before I was an adult. I've destroyed things since I was an adult, but when I was a kid, I was especially adept at it. And I had a list, and, and for, the, for the sake of my mom and dad's, you know, peace, I'm not going to reprise those things that I, that I broke, but I broke a number of things just for the sake of breaking them. They were there, and it was just simply because they were there that I, I broke them. I will give one. I'm going to make my mom really angry, but she had a real nice tape recorder at one time, and I had this really cool function before it was just, you know, digital and everything was what it was, but it was set to record, and it had this little touch button that was just kind of a touch thing that paused it. That, that just paused it real nicely so that there wasn't that click of the tape recorder and all of that sort of thing. And I took a fork to it, and I just dug out that pause button. It's just really stupid. But, you know, and I remember those words coming from my mom. She looked at it, and she's like, what is this? I took a fork to it. I can't have anything nice, she said. How long was it? How long was it when, before God had the opportunity to say, I can't have anything nice? He saw that it was very good. You know, that's a silly example. But he saw that it was very good. He had a perfect creation. He had a perfect well, couple of people there. How long was it before, well, before sin was invited into that and things went south? Well, it might have been 24 hours. It might have been just for the extent of that 24-hour period, that day, that seventh day that he rested. It might have been 24 months. I'm not going to speculate. I don't know. But how long was it before the Lord could have said, I, I can't have anything nice. I can't even shut my eyes for a moment. That's another set of words that I'm sure parents have said in this room. I can't even, I can't even rest for one moment. I just put you aside for a minute so I could, Calgon, take me away just for a little while. And, and look, look what happened. How long? I don't know how long that it was, but the Lord had that opportunity to say that. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And I've eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Well, things went bad there. Cursed is the ground, even naturally. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. The work that he had rested from was no longer fully intact there, was it? It was no longer, well, all of it was very good. Even if it was just isolated to man and wife there. Sin had entered in, and there was a sullying. A sullying of what God had done there. And I would say that to some measure, and if you'll follow me here, God's rest was over at that time. God's rest was over. Now, I'm getting way ahead of myself once again, but his rest was never complete, even on that seventh day. He rested from that work of creation. There was plenty else going on, but again, at that point, certainly in regards to mankind and creation, his rest was over. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at question number one for ourselves. Does God rest today? Is he resting at this moment? 
And I would say that the simple answer is no. No, he does not rest today. We, we sang a special not long ago. That's been maybe a little while ago. I don't know. We changed the words to it, which we're prone to do. We actually changed a couple words in the song that we sang this morning. But it's called restless love. Perhaps a number of you all have heard this. We changed it to selfless love because I didn't like restless. Because you know what? Little Greggy was restless. Couldn't do anything. There's anxiety because you just don't have anything to do and you're fidgety and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of, I didn't like hearing God kind of described as being just restless, like shifty and that sort of thing. Man, you know, he's restless. And I kind of regret uh, changing the words to that because as I've studied this out and considered who he is, he is restless, not not anxious. There's a difference. Not just fidgety or anything like that. Not, not just looking for something to do just to occupy himself. The Lord doesn't have ADHD. I'm not faulting anyone who does. He doesn't have that, though. It's, it's not his makeup, but he doesn't rest today. Uh, after man failed, right? Not since that seventh day, I would say, has rest, his rest been even nearly complete. What the Lord, well, the rest that he takes. After man fell, the population, well, exploded, right? It grew exponentially, Right? We can look at the generations coming from Adam. Nine generations later, you have population of mankind expounding. Flesh is, is, is becoming more and more. And the enemy is there present, mixing in his own direction and his own purposes in that flesh. Satan was present. Uh, just nine generations later, you have that formula of flesh and mankind and Satan coming in. Well, what was the state of the world after just nine generations? In Genesis 6 and verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. It was abundant in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you suppose God was resting at this time? When the intent of mankind, every thought of his heart, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. These ones that he loved. I mean, believing or not, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Loved them in this way and loved them so much. I think that that so applies to both of those things. He loves people. Do you suppose he was resting at that time, just letting it happen? I do believe that there are systems in place that the Lord has set in motion and he allows certain things to go. But I'll tell you, well, you can sit back and you can, you know, we talked to men's group yesterday to a certain extent about being a superintendent, a manager. There are certain times when you sit back as a manager and things go pretty smoothly. But you're always kind of, thinking. You're always watching. You're always observing. I used to go to work with my dad when he was an air traffic controller and, and controlling the... Or he was supervising, keeping track and babysitting the mainframe computer for the FAA and, and all the things that were involved there. And I would walk in and I'd hear all the whirs and the, and the AC was super cool for the computers and all that. And I'd go in there and he'd take me on a mid-shift and I'd have a little pillow and I'd lay out there and I'd just be so relaxed hearing all the whir of things. You know, and Dad's sitting here shaking as he's waiting for something to break down because inevitably that sort of thing happened, and then it was rather catastrophic, potentially. And I told my dad, I said, I just, well, you know what I love about your work is it's just so peaceful. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't have anything nice, you know, even, even, even a kid who understands my situation. I didn't get what he was going through because, 
Well, while he was just supervising and maybe not having to do anything in the moment, always his mind was working. Always he was thinking. There wasn't a lot of rest in his mind at the time. I don't suppose that God was resting in this day. In that time when wickedness was great in the earth, I believe he was working. Even if only for eight people. Eight people. Uh, Even if it was just for them, but he was working for all of them. It wasn't just for eight. God was working in their respective situations. I don't believe that he was at rest when he destroyed every soul but eight with that flood. Uh, And neither do I believe that he's resting today. Uh, Do you think he's resting presently? Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. I don't believe that he's at rest. We're going to consider more than just a few passages here. I have a whole list of them. You can follow along if you choose, or you can just read them off of the screen there. What is the state of our world in comparison to Genesis chapter 6? Well, I don't think that it's much better. We certainly have a number of more people. Uh, We certainly have a lot more presence of flesh overall. Yes, we have a number, an increased number of believers. But we have an, well, we have almost 8 billion little flesh bags running around uh, this globe that we live on. And I know, uh, well, I know what our flesh is capable of. If you look in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, some of these will be familiar to most of you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter if you're a saved person or not. Doesn't matter if you're a believer. All have sinned. It has taken place. All of us necessitated the sacrifice of Jesus. Every one of us has, well, has brought our own measure of the same sin that Adam and Eve brought to that garden. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, staying in Romans in verse 18 of chapter 7. I know that in me, this is Paul speaking, but I'll take his words for myself. You can take his words for yourself. I know that in me that is in my flesh, not the new man that I have once I've believed on the Lord Jesus for myself. That new creation has been established. It is pure. It is not going to be sullied. But in me that is in my flesh, man, nothing good dwells. And it's still here. It's still present. For its will is present with me. To do what I want to do, to desire things other than the Lord, is still present with me. How to perform what is good, I do not find in that flesh of mine. You think the Lord doesn't recognize your flesh is present? Do you think that the Lord stands back and just allows that flesh to dominate and rule? Do you think that he doesn't recognize nearly 8 billion other fleshy creatures that are walking around that, well, are making decisions, good and bad? Uh, No, he's evaluating. He's considering. He's not just standing by and doing what little Greggy was doing at dad's work and just leaning back and sleeping He's doing what my dad was doing. And he's not just observing, he's taking care of catastrophe. He's dealing with things. He's evaluating in Jeremiah chapter 17. and verse 9, it expresses there what the Lord is doing. First off, it identifies what we are naturally. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked in Jeremiah's time, in Noah's time, in our time. Who can know it? Who can know this heart? Well, the Lord speaks, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give how many men? Every man, according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. This, the Lord doesn't speak in hyperbole here, does he? I, I search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways. 
I could have each one of you count off this morning. I'm not sure how many people are here. 50, 60 maybe this morning? Each one of you having thoughts even right now? Good, bad, indifferent, whatever the case might be. I don't see anyone sleeping presently. You're thinking about something. It would take me the rest of the afternoon just to find out what all of your thoughts were, much less consider them, much less go in digging deep and searching out your hearts and your mind and finding out what the concepts is behind each one of those thoughts, what the motivation is, what the intent is for each of those thoughts. I don't have the capability. There are nearly 8 billion beings of flesh on this ball that I mentioned a moment ago, and every one of them has his attention right now. Every one of them is sought by him right now. Every one of them searched out in their heart right now. Every one of them having their minds tested, even now. You think God's resting? No. Are there any of those eight billion? Eight billion of those things that are indeed precious to him. Are there any of them that are in harm's way at the moment? I've known people who have sent loved ones off to war. I was teaching a class with a man one time back... uh, well, I ended up working with his kid, and I sat in there, and we were on a break one time, and he was looking and seeing what was happening in Iraq at the time, and his kid was overseas right in the thick of it, and he started weeping right there, right there in the break room. Mike, what's going on? He says, I want my kid back. I hadn't experienced anything like that. Uh, you know, Vietnam having been, before my birth even took place, being the last real conflict that you know, we Think about that sort of thing. And he was sitting there right there in the moment, just, man, yearning for this one uh, who was in harm's way. He did come back, just so that you're not worried about it. He did come back, and I actually worked with his kid later on, as a matter of fact. But I've known people who have sent one loved ones off to war. Uh, different families here just sent their kids off to college. Not war, but man, sometimes it feels like a battle <laughs> in some, to some extent, right? And you worry about them, don't you? I just hate seeing them grow up. Man, I'll tell you, I, maybe I'm getting personal here, but I, I couldn't stand sending Josiah Gordon here off to college because to me, he's still eight, still talking to me about lizards and, and snakes and that sort of thing. You know, That's what I saw going off to school. And he's off living essentially by himself outside of his parents' control or protection, that sort of thing. We worry about these ones. They're, they're in peril. They're in danger. What might happen to them? And you can sit and think to yourself, and I do, well, the Lord is Almighty God. And He's capable of protecting and and doing all these things and shielding and and all of that sort of thing. And, and, And part of the worry that we have for our young people is what might happen, right? The Lord knows what's going to happen. So, I mean, He doesn't have that worry. Man, saints, how difficult would it be to know the poor choices that were going to be made? To know I can do everything, offer everything to this one, and they're still going to turn away. They're still going to push back. They're still going to end in catastrophe. They're still going to end in failure. I'm going to send my son, and both of us suffer in a manner that no other living being has suffered before. Both of us, father and son, suffering and yet they're going to reject, and they're going to hate, and they're going to do all of these things. I don't know that that's a better thing, to have everything known. It certainly wouldn't be an easier thing, and I will just say this, it's not a restful thing to the Lord, I would imagine, either. He's not resting, He knows. He has precious beings to Him that are in harm's way. 
we're at war right now. We understand this. We talk about the warfare of the Lord that he has put before us. We have been commissioned and enlisted in his battle. And he tells us about that in Ephesians chapter 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, not just natural armies or those things that we battle against. Above all things are spiritual things, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Elsewhere in Ephesians 6, it says, standing against the wiles of the devil, the fiery darts, I believe that it says. You know, we kind of take that as a Sunday school kind of thing. Man, those are serious darts, right? It's not just, you know, throw a dart at the bulls like, (laughs) it's not that. These are lethal blows, eternally Eternally damaging weapons that Satan is yielding and wielding at us. This is what the Lord knows. We're in danger. We're in harm's harm's way. He knows that we have this enemy that's bent on harming us, injuring us and hindering us and destroying us if, if he had that capability. And he's assigned himself to prepare us, to protect us. He's created this panoply, as we've considered in the past, this this set of armor for us, to enable and protect and to work for us on our behalf. We understand this. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Even all of those requests that were made known this morning, some rather urgent ones, yes? All things work together. Is it because He set them, He put everything in motion just sitting back and saying, I know how this is going to turn out, everything? He's actually working. It's not just us making this happen. Who's working it together for good? Who's manipulating some of these things that need to be manipulated for our good? It's not going to turn out well for us if he doesn't get in and actually do some of the sewing of said tapestry, right? If he doesn't show his own craftsmanship, his own work, his own effort at creating what will work good for each and every one of us in our each and every circumstance, each one of our scenarios. Who's working for that? What's the Lord? Is he at rest presently? No, he's busy working together for good. For all of us who love God and are called according to his purpose, working that purpose for our good. That's not resting. He's not resting. His eye and his heart is upon us always. Some of these familiar passages that we look at need to remain familiar to us because of the power of behind their words. Matthew 10, verse 29. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. He has an understanding. He has a desire. He has a purpose even for those things. If a tree falls in the woods, does it make any noise if no one's there to see it? <laughs> you know, God sees the tree fall in the woods. So yeah, it makes, it makes noise whether you want to get into that philosophy or not, that goofy stuff. If a sparrow falls out of the tree, not only has the Lord known it, but he willed it. Man, that's getting down to the nitty gritty of things, Right? I can't even order my own life in the, in the means. I don't have the control over my own life that I would like to. I don't have the capability. I don't have the mental fortitude or the horsepower up here. And yet he's all over this. The hairs of your head, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And I can make bald jokes, but this is no joke. That's, a, that's not a static number, you understand. <laughs> you know, even those of you with hair run a brush through your hair, what happens? You're going to have at least one there, right? 
at least one. The Lord knows when that's gone. It's not something. That's not just me just talking preachery, goofy talk. The Lord monitors, monitors the number of very heads. I can't even get my words right. The very hairs on your head. Numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I love that passage. The Lord has his eyes on you. The flesh and the sin and sin are always present, we understand. In Habakkuk 1.13, you are of pure eyes and to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. So he recognizes that sin is present there. He recognizes and understands and is constantly, constantly abraded by that sin. It doesn't mean that he doesn't, I'm not going to look at that because I just cannot be touched by this. His eyes are too pure to sit and study and get into the mix of that. But you know, I'll tell you, there were times in the fire station, this isn't just trying to sound all noble and that sort of thing, but there were times when things were so defiling being discussed at the table, I had to get up and walk away. There were times when I would come back from a call and the guys would have something on the TV that I'd walk in and I'd have to turn around and walk out. Again, it's not because there isn't a flesh part of me and part of any man, woman, all of those things that doesn't have a curiosity at the very least for those things that draw our flesh. There's a curiosity there, if not a complete interest. But when you give your heart over to the Lord and you allow Him to make changes in you and you put Him in a priority spot, then there comes a time when sometimes those defiling things almost sicken you at your stomach. Not almost, they actually do. There are certain things that well, have come before my eyes that were not choices of mine that I've looked and instantly it turns your stomach. Not in, a, not in a hateful way, not hateful towards those people involved or that sort of thing, but it's a nauseating thing. And if that's nauseating to me, oh, the Lord's eyes, pure, purer than mine. Uh, he doesn't want to see that. And it would be unrestful. It would be irritating. Not just merely annoying. It would be something that would put him off immensely for those ones to tie themselves up in that. So when that is going on and you understand there are, well, any number of entanglements, any number of defilements that sit and occupy the minds and the hearts of God's own people inside of his own church, let alone outside of the things of God, that, well, let's just say it this way, his mind isn't at rest on that, is he? Is it? He's not. Uh, we're continually in harm's way, child of God. You understand this. Be sober, be vigilant, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. We talked about prayer this on Friday, about the need to have serious, watchful prayer as the end time is coming, the time of, well, the end of all things. Be sober, be vigilant, because in the meantime, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so help me, he is hungry. You can understand this. He's looking to cause some problems. He's looking to chew. He's looking to bite and tear. He's looking to lie and cheat and steal and all of those things. And he finds great pleasure, great pleasure in causing issue for God's people. Do you think that the Lord doesn't know this? Do you think that he's at rest right now knowing that there is one such as this and all of those ones in league with him that are seeking to devour his people? Even so, with all of these things going on, these things that cause a lack of rest for the Lord, 
He still calls for more. Look at the, just the previous verse of this passage here in verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Still, he says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You know, they say, I've heard it a number of times, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life, right? Do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life. I've had two major careers in my life. And I'll be honest, I loved both of them. I did. Man, I loved being a fireman. It wasn't restful all the time. It sure wasn't. They say you'll never work another day in your life. Man, it was work. I love being a pastor. I really do in a different way than, than being a firefighter. But if you believe that it's just a restful job all the time, then you don't know what's involved there. It's work. You don't rest all the time. I love my job. And I work just about every day. I work just about every day. That's why I go to San Luis Obispo, California for a couple of days, just to get a little bit of rest. You do too. You might love your job. Jim, you love hanging windows? He does. He enjoys it. He nodded his head. It's work for Jim. I guarantee it. Guaranteed. You might love what you do. But your mind, if, if you do love it and you want to, to, to do well at it, and you want to honor God in it, I guarantee you it still work for you even if you love what you do. And work is the opposite of rest. Now, I'm not going to get into the weeds and talk about how you can be rested at work and at peace at work and all of those things. I'm just talking about simply rest. It's not always restful. God loves His people. He loves to work for them. He loves to work for you, in you and on you. But don't believe for a moment that you aren't work. It just is what it is. Philippians 2.13 says it is God who works in you. Yes, that's crafting, manipulating, potting, all of these things. It's work. I've done some pottery before. You know, it takes work. It takes focus. It takes concentration to draw things up. And if you, one little lack of concentration, it just falls apart and slings off of your wheel and all of those sorts of things. It's work. Both to do will and to do for His good pleasure. He's working that in you. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. You chastise your kids, yes? Do you enjoy it? Well, there's a certain measure of satisfaction sometimes when, you know, when they've done you wrong, you're like, <laughs> you're not going to this place, you're not doing this, yeah, you know, I'm taking this away from you and this away from you, but the satisfaction also comes with a measure of, I wish I didn't have to tell them this again. I wish I didn't have to deal with this again. What happens if they don't get this? There's going to be any problems, right? And so there is a measure of anxiety, and there's a measure of work, and there's a measure of effort, and there's a measure of just corralling the little ones, and a measure of doing this. It takes effort and work, and it is not always rest. It isn't rest to chase, and it isn't rest to correct. It isn't rest to protect. It isn't rest to rescue. It isn't rest to prepare or enable or to teach. Is God at rest presently because He's doing all of these things? I say no. No, He's not, he's not at rest. I promised you another question. Will He rest again? We saw Him rest at least in part on that seventh day. Will He rest again? Uh, well, I'll just say it this way. Not yet. <laughs> it's going to be a while. Even on that seventh day, truly, he only rested from his work of creation. I don't believe the rest was complete, as I said earlier. As long as there's flesh, as long as there's sin, as long as there is an enemy present, 
As long as his people are in danger and harm's way, God's going to be at work. He's not going to rest when there is work to be done. Child of God, there's work to be done, even if it's only in you. But it's not only in you. There's work to be done in me. There's work to be done in this world. There's work to be done in Israel, but he's going to do a work. Let's look at them for an example. Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 1. He still works even today. Even right now. And he's working all the way till the very end. His rebellious people, Israel, those ones who have rejected the Lord Jesus. I think that hurts the Father's heart, don't you? I mean, all that he had given them throughout time. Throughout time, preparing them for Jesus' coming, for that Messiah. And when he came and went, well, there was so much disregard at the very least. Joy on the parts of some when, when he, that guy was just put away and let's... let's Let's let, that, let's let that go and keep on going this way that was not intended for them. The Lord still works for those ones. For Zion's sake, he says in Isaiah 62 and verse 1, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, what does he say here? I will not rest. I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. It's going to happen, but not in this age, saints. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. There's still a work to be completed there. And that, well, that work and that time is not done. It's not finished now. The Lord is working indeed. Uh, we can see his church as an example. You and me, a little bit more of a figurative presentation here of his ongoing work that isn't going to be finished until, well, until everything is said and done. Turn to Ruth, the book of Ruth. Again, figurative certainly, but if you've studied the book of Ruth, you've considered the story of that woman, that man Boaz, Boaz being a picture of the Lord Jesus, Boaz desiring this woman Ruth for his own wife in a godly manner, providing for her in every possible natural way that you might consider. He's a picture of Jesus providing for us. Seeking us as a bride, as Boaz did Ruth. And in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 18, he was, Ruth, well, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, was pointing out to Ruth what Boaz was going to do for her, right? Just out of context, just very simple, plain, just consider this being regarding Jesus and us. When she said, then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Our Lord will not rest until he has concluded for us the matter. Until he has satisfied every provision, offered every, well, every possible capability, every possible provision for any and all who will receive. He's preparing a bride from his church He's preparing us for our completion. And that matter of our completion, the completion of the bride from that church, the body of Christ, it hasn't been concluded yet. And the man will not rest until he has concluded that matter. He's seeing it through to the end, and the end is not yet. But the day is coming, yeah. It is that 
When we look in Isaiah 65, and again we considered on Friday the truth of the end of all things being at hand. We didn't talk about it as being, oh, woe is me, or look out the fire and the thunder and the brimstone and all that, though those elements are involved in that sort of thing. This is a joyful thing for those that know and love Him. There will be a glorious day for us and for Him. And He will rest on that day that comes when all of these things have been satisfied. Again, with Israel as another example, Isaiah 65 and verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. All of these things, the mainframe, Dad doesn't give... Dad, my dad, doesn't give a hoot about the FAA's mainframe computer now. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a rip because it's no longer his responsibility. He's retired and he sits at home and he has other responsibilities now. He doesn't think about that. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There's a day coming when work and concern and contention from even those people will be removed. We can read in Revelation 20 for time's sake. I'm not going to turn there. But we can read there that truth that death is going to be cast away. Satan and all of his allies are going to be removed from our presence, removed from any influence on us, removed from all of his purposes. He's going to be cast away. The work in and for all is going to be complete. And that's the day that the Lord will rest again. Revelation 21 and verse 1. John saw it and he describes it for us as he witnessed it. Revelation 21 all the way to the end. We started on the second chapter of the first book. We're going to wrap things up here on the second to last chapter of the last book. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. There's a great deal of figurative pictures here, but you can just say everything. Then I, saw, then I John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. All of them. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Nor sorrow. Nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Everything that caused his mind to be set aside. To be focused. To be Well, at work, we'll be gone. Saints, God won't allow himself to rest just yet. There is work yet to be done. There's an enemy that needs to be protected against. There are hearts that still yet need to be won. There are hearts that still need to be knocked on even if they refuse to be won. And his people, those ones who are so dear to him, are still in harm's way and will be. I'm grateful, however, that he will not rest until we are completely out of danger and given 
every opportunity to be finished, to be perfected, to be completed. I'm grateful he will not rest until all sin, all defilement, all death, all pain is removed. And then the Lord God, the Almighty, El Shaddai, man of war, our potter, our creator, our workman, well then he will enjoy true and complete and total rest for much, much longer than that seventh day.